Amazing sounds of my good buddy Jonathan from Big Black Delta. I am just a vessel for a broken heart. Love this song. Love Big Black Delta. Love them for years. Huge fan of Jonathan. Um, you were listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Yes, I am back on the show. I have been neglecting all of you because, uh, as you've heard, as I've talked about, I have been deep... <laughs> In my editing cave, I've been deep in the filmmaking cave trying to get uh, my new film done. And I can say this officially, um, Sunday, today I'm recording this. I'm recording this on the 25th, by the way. This is how late your boy is today. Um, but on Sunday night, 4 a.m., we, uh, me and the, uh, the man, the master, Mike Tran, did the final touches on the sound mix for the film. So we wrapped the sound mix at 4 a.m. 4.45 a.m., I mastered it out and uh, finished the movie officially at 5 a.m. on Monday morning. So uh, the new film is done. Whew. Man, it's uh, relieving. It's sad that it's done. Um 
It's uh, I'm excited to have folks see it. I'm excited to to introduce to the world. Um, but it's it's one of these uh, moments that uh, okay. Look, if any of you listening to the show have ever created something, <laughs> and I know a lot of you have. Uh, you know that the process can be like ever consuming, especially if you're doing a movie, if you're, uh, you know, even if you're doing a painting, if you're building a hot rod, you know, months and months and months and months of work, like fully immersive problem solving, day shifting, you know, batshit emotional roller coaster riding. It's, it's, it's a thing, right? And it becomes at a certain point when you do it long enough, it becomes your normalcy. Every day you have this thing that you need to accomplish, that you need to finish. Another step needs to be done. Another hurdle needs to be crossed. Another night of no sleep, right? This is the existence that we put ourselves in, and then it, it goes away. Look, I've, I've never had kids, but uh, I've been a kid, and I've seen uh, how my, my parents have adjusted to us growing up and moving on. I assume that that's what it's like. I assume you raise this baby, you conceive this baby. Uh, you bring it up, you fall in love with it, you want to kill it because it doesn't let you sleep. You go through this long process of of nurturing this adult, becoming an adult, this this person, and then they leave the nest. And then what is your definition? What do you define by at this point? Like, what do I do? Um, this happens every fucking time. <laughs> every fucking time I make something, every time I put something out, every time I put like the spirit that is the the essence of who I am into a piece, you always feel this thing at the end. And I'm determined this time to not let it ruin me. Like I'm trying to get to a point where I'm accepting. The past couple of days I've been accepting it. This is a thing. It's moving on. It's coming out. It's not like it's going to be gone from my life. I still have to cut a teaser. I still have to do... Uh, some advertising for it, and I still have to like submit. I am going to submit this to festivals. That's on my list of things to do this week. Um, so I will keep you guys alerted. If it isn't a film festival in your area, you may want to come. I'm going to try to attend whatever film festivals I go to. So those festival programs that are there, I will bring my fans with me. <laughs> so, you know, program my shit, motherfuckers. <laughs> And then, you know, we'll we'll have some fun with it. I, the, my goal with this movie, I'm incredibly proud of this film. Uh, I, I think it's the culmination of all my work. It's the refinement of all the techniques, the stuff that you guys liked about 12KM. Uh, a lot of you haven't seen Who's There yet. This is better than Who's There, and Who's There is a great movie, but this is better than Who's There. Um, it has all of the best elements of anything I've done. My, I, I sent it to my parents yesterday. A shout out to my dad who listens to every episode of the show. I know you're listening right now. Um, and uh, they were the, <laughs> I think my mom was insulted when I said that they were one of seven people that got the uh, first emails to see the movie. She's like, we were one of seven. <laughs> I was like, but you also didn't answer my email all fucking day. <laughs> Next time you're going to be on uh, the 15 list. You didn't get right back to me. You know, it took you all day to watch it, but joking aside. Um, they did watch the movie. They were very excited about it. And um, I was talking to my dad about it, and he was saying that he saw a lot of the Meshuggah video in it, which I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. Strange elements of the Meshuggah video that I had directed years ago, co-directed years ago. He he didn't, I, 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 it never occurred to me. 
And what I love about making movies is I love, I really, really, really have come to love leaving things open-ended. I really have come to love not answering all the questions. Now, not for a hot second do I want you to believe that I don't have answers, right? Whenever I put something together, I have to create the answers for myself. I got to put those answers there because I have to have answers uh, as I sort of plot out a story, as I edit a piece, I got to go, okay, well, here's my rationale for how this scene's going to progress. And when I deal with talent and actors and, and folks and and wardrobe people and production designers, like th this is who I think this character is based upon uh, this. And so maybe you can accentuate that with the outfits and stuff. But I'm also, I've learned in my older age to just leave it open, open-ended, not only for the audience, but also for the people that I collaborate with, because then they bring in some stuff. They sit there and they register with something that I've that I've given them, and they go, "Oh, wouldn't it be interesting? This is interesting. I like what you, this inspires an idea that I felt when I used to hang out with my dad's friend, and he did this." And you're like, "Ah, cool, man. I never would have thought of that." You know. So open-endedness, I think, is great when it comes to creators, but it's also great when it comes to the audience, because then the audience, whenever you sit down to watch something, I'm speaking directly to you, whenever you sit down to watch something, do you notice in the first three minutes, two minutes, it's like, I've talked about this on the show before, it's like going into a stranger's house, right? For the first time. You walk into a stranger's house, it smells weird, smells different, you look around, you're assessing if there's any danger, right? If it's me and I have my allergies, I'm assessing if there's cats or dogs in the house. And then you sort of look around at, you know, how they decorate things, how they, where they put their couch, you know, what do they have in their kitchen? Like, what do they leave out when they have company over? Like, this is the exciting part, right? The first two minutes, you're looking around and you're starting to make judgments. You're starting to make assessments. That's what's really fun about movies in the first two minutes of films. And then I think what Hollywood does right now is they like to make sure that they're answering all the questions. They like to make it as simple for you to understand as possible. So if you walked into someone's house and they have a lion's head on the wall, if it was a Hollywood movie, the person would go, that's a lion's head. <laughs> and you'd go, yeah, I get it. It's a lion's head. Why is it here? And then the person would tell you specifically go, well, that was from when I went on a safari and the thing tried to bite my girlfriend in half. And so I cut its head off with a pocket knife, right? They would tell you that instead of showing you that, instead of inferring it to you. The movies that I find more interesting is when you walk in the house, you see a lion's head on the wall and the guy doesn't even say anything about it. And then the whole time he's talking about what kind of sandwich he's going to make you for, the, for lunch. And you're in your head, you're going, what's the deal with that fucking lion's head, right? Then it's interesting. You're fully immersed. You're creating a story. You're not being told what the fucking thing is. That's what I find interesting about filmmaking. And the, the more I do this, the longer I'm in this, I feel like you as the audience appreciate it more when you could be watching something and filling it in with your own perception, your own stories, your own experiences. That guy wears that coat because he does this. I've seen a guy that wears that coat and he does this. Then you feel connected to it. I just recorded an episode that I was supposed to release today, but I'm going to release later this week with a writer, a really great writer. He's a screenplay writer and a comic book writer. And uh, we talk about this. We talk about the 
the differences between reading a novel, comic book, and watching a movie, and how with a novel, when you're in that, you have to fill in all the blanks. You're just reading words on a page, right? Guy shows up in a red car. That's all they say. And you go, well, what's the red car look like? And you come up with an idea of that red car. You start painting that world based upon your experiences, your likes, your fears, etc. So now you feel more connected to that book because you do that, right? Comic books is a little bit different. They are drawing panels. They are designing outfits and costumes and uh, you know, setting the stage, but there's all this shit that happens in between the panels. What does it look like when he actually flies? What does it look like when he got hit in the face? Like, what did it look like when she dumped him and she walked away? Like, you fill in those blanks. So comic books are still really focused with the audience. The audience is still the one that's sort of filling in the spots. But what I like about comic books is that as a creator, you're able to further influence them and say, I know you've never seen this outfit before, so we'll draw this outfit for you. And you go, fuck, that's fascinating. That's really cool. And then when you look at that outfit, you go, well, I wonder how the fabric moves, right? You're still immersed in it. Movies, it's a lot fucking harder because everything about a movie these days is about return on investment. That's it. And, you know, if you're going to spend, you know, $300 on something and you're going to charge people $10 a head, right? How many people do you have to get in that theater? And you have to get that many people in that theater to make a return, not to mention a profit. And if you want to make a profit, most people want to double their profit, right? Or double their investment rather. So then you're like, okay, what are those numbers? And now you're asking yourself the question, it's a Tuesday night. Who can I get in there on a Tuesday night? What is the age demographic for those folks? How do I appeal to that age demographic? Is this going to be a rated R movie? Because if it is, then I lose the opportunity to have younger kids come and see something like this. And a lot of younger kids like to see this kind of thing. And then here's the side effect. The younger kids will have to convince their parents. So that's four tickets that I'm selling. You see what I'm saying? So the game starts to fall down in that hole. So when you're talking about a movie, it's all about return on investment. And the one thing that most producers and and uh, not most producers, I'd say most investors want to do is to get rid of any reason that would scare away cash that is going to return on their investment, right? So the first thing, whenever they read a script, and I have this all the time, they read a script, they need all the, the questions answered on the page. Why is the lion head on the wall? That'll be the first thing they asked, right? It says it in the description. Walk in the house, it's a giant, snarling, angry lion head on the wall. And the guy starts talking about what sandwiches we're going to have today. And I guarantee you, the producer, or I keep using the word producer. Let me change that. The executive would read that and go, well, why is the fucking lion head on the wall? We should tell the audience why the lion's head's on the wall. I go, well, yeah, but it's good that you're asking the question. Why, the, why do you think the lion head's on the wall? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. It does, though, because now you're involved. See what I'm saying? This goes out <laughs> to all the folks that have seen, the few of you that have seen 12KM, and you have beef with the fact that I don't answer all the questions. I'm not going to answer all the questions. It's a better movie if I don't. And I know for a fact that people like it when they don't have all the questions answered, because 
what happens is, is you're dragged by your nose through a story and it starts to become predictable because you're like, of course, here's the answer to this. Here's the answer to that. Because the answers have to become safe. Why is this guy going on a revenge rampage? Well, his wife was killed. Oh, that makes sense. Why does that make sense to you? I don't know, because I've seen it 400 fucking times before then. See what I'm saying? As opposed to like, this guy goes on a fucking rampage and some character in the movie goes, why is this guy going crazy? And another character goes, I don't know. (laughs) How much cooler is that? It's so much cooler because now you're not putting him in a box. You're not defining his strife. You're not, you know, passing judgment on it, but you're also not like, you're not cheapening it. You're not, cheaping the, you're not cheapening the instantaneous experience that that person's going through. This shit's fascinating to me. And it's nothing new. I know it exists. This is the bane of existence for most storytellers out there, especially storytellers that are deep, deep in bed with their arms around people that are investing their, in their stuff because you have two sides of thought, right? How do I make something fun? How do I make something immersive? But... How do I also get a return on investment? How do we get rich, right? The good news is, is that when you look at my stuff, there's only one, one asshole that I have to answer to on all my pieces. And he's really bad at return on investment. <laughs> and that's me. That's me. So when you watch my movies and my, my stuff, I'll do whatever the fuck I want until I can no longer do whatever the fuck I want. So... If you watch one of my things and you go, man, this doesn't feel like a Hollywood movie, cherish it. Cherish it for now. Because there will hit a point, and it is coming. I will promise you that I will eventually get there where I'm working for the man. And the man's going to need me to do things differently. So if you like this stuff now, love it and be a part of it. And I cannot wait to show you the new movie. And here, here's... Here, here's what's going to happen. I cannot release it on YouTube right now. And I know so many of you are going, oh, do we have to send our three favorite horror movies? Do we have to go through this process? Uh, not yet. Not yet. But um, I can't put it on YouTube because if I release it to the public, then my chances of getting into film festivals are a lot smaller. You know, and for the handful of people that were like, well, you really don't care about your crew if you're not putting it on YouTube. No, fuck you. I do care about my actor and I do care about my crew. And it's more beneficial for them if they are screened in a festival, especially as an actor amidst other films with other directors that are looking for actors. And it's so hard to find actors, especially with management and agents and all these gatekeepers that are standing between you and the talent, right? And filtering out your work like this fucking guy. He's a small dude. Well, you don't want to work with him. You never know, right? So when you go to a film festival, you get to meet the talent. The talent sees your work. You potentially get another gig. You potentially get to join someone. I think that is the power of film festivals. I think that is the power of doing screenings. Is that the talent gets to show off their talent, and I, there is a level of like, hey, this is also good for the ego, right? It's good to hear an audience responding to you if you're an actor on screen. It's good to hear an audience responding 
to my work as a director because that's who I'm making it for. So it's like, oh, did that work? Did this trick work? Huh. Right? Because we spent hours and hours and hours like trying to make little tricks and techniques convey an emotion on screen. That's what we do. Um, so I cannot release it on YouTube. But what I'm going to do, where are my super fans? This is an alert that goes out to super fans right now. There's a bunch of you out there that have become super fans that have gotten pins for being super fans. Where are my super fans? Drop me a message on Instagram today, tomorrow, this week saying, Mike, I'm a super fan. I'm here. If you're not a super fan yet and you want to be a super fan, drop me a message on my Instagram at Mike Petchy and say, I want to be a super fan. What do I need to do to be a super fan? I am going to choose 20, 20 super fans to be a test screener or a test audience for my new film. So you will get to see this version of the film, right? Is it exclusive? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm excited to get your feedback. I'm excited to hear what you think. So like I said, this is a call that goes out to super fans. If you're a super fan of the show, of my work, of my stuff, remind me that you're a super fan. Send me a message at Mike Petchy. Send me a DM and say, yo, I'm a super fan. Remember, I would like to be one of the 20 that sees your new movie. Okay. Figured I would let that bomb drop for you all. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for you to see it. I really am. I've been showing it to some of my close friends, um, and I've been getting great responses, great reactions. What was the thing that I got here? Let me see if I can read you one that I got today from one of my buddies. He writes to me, holy crap, that was intense and awesome. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, spoilers here. That creepy clicking of the fingernails made me turn the lights on in my office. Also, how did you burn the coin? <laughs> I know none of that makes sense to you, but yeah. Fuck yeah. That's great that he felt that way. Because uh, I've got some really fun shit that happens in this new movie. I'm very excited about it. Those of you who aren't super fans yet, that want to be super fans, that want to see this film, make sure you keep sticking around. Here's what I'll do is I will let you know if I'm going to release a, a small select amount of people to see the film. If I do that, it may you may be tasked with writing a review for it. You may be tasked with posting about it, uh, drumming up attention for it. I will, I will confront you because we're all in this together. I love you. As, a, as the fans of the show, fans of my work, uh, I have been completely open about how we do things, and you are a tool in my toolbox. You are here to help make these things happen, to bring attention to these things. All the attention that you all brought to 12KM, look, man, full disclosure, I, I got a phone call from the Rocks people because of all the stuff that you guys did. So it's crazy. All right. So you guys are a big part of this, man. And so many of you have written to me saying that I want to see more from you. I want to see more movies. I want to see more stuff. Um, the only way that that's going to happen is if we work together to make that happen. You know, you are a weapon in my arsenal. And I, I appreciate every 
each and every one of my creative bullets <laughs> that we have. You know what I mean? So you guys should be pumped, excited, as excited as I am. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to talk about today? Where are we at? Ah, not bad. We're doing good. Um, so, yeah, we did the uh, the uh, sound mix for the piece. Me and Mike Trans. I, I got to have him on the show. Mike has been one of the most committed people to this film. And I've, there's been a lot of folks that have been very committed to this movie. Um, but I have to take a minute and really show my love for Mike Tran, a.k.a. Voltran, DJ Voltran. Mike did the music for uh, 12KM years ago. Uh, he also helped me on um, Who's There? And this time around, he had multiple roles on this piece. He was on set with me. He put on an assistant camera hat, and him and I went to town shooting this piece together. Um, and then uh, in post-production, Mike was in charge of sound design work. Uh, him and I worked together on that. He was in charge of sound mixing. Uh, he has a soundscape credit. You don't often see that on movies, but you'll see it at the beginning of this film, Soundscape by Francis Michael Tran. He uh, helped me design the sound of the new piece. And those of you who like the sounds of 12KM, get ready. Um, I've talked about this before. We played him at the top end of the show. Jonathan Bates, uh, Big Black Delta, is on our film. He scored it. So he did all the music for the new movie. And let me say this, it is awesome. Fucking awesome. I'm excited to have him on it. I'm excited for his work on it. His stuff sounds so fucking cool. Um, there's like, I really don't want to give too much away, but like, it sounds like fucking Alien. It sounds like Blade Runner. Like, it's so much good stuff, right? Now, let me make sure that you all don't have your expectations set too high. This is a 12-minute short. I I know 12 cam was longer than this. I've learned my lessons, though. I want this to get into film festivals, so I've made this short the perfect length for film festivals, right? Because before when I had done it too long, I didn't get in because of running times and all that kind of shit. This is 12 minutes, and it's been designed to be a theater experience. I mean, this shit's going to blow your face off when stuff happens in it. It is designed for a theater experience. So I'm going to desperately try. There's a bunch of festivals that are still accepting submissions for this year. <clears throat> so I'm going to desperately try to get it in. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, Mike and I uh, hustled hard. Uh, and we did we did in like eight hours, which should have taken us a week. We did a, a sound mix for this, which is, I think, I think it's a great sound mix for, you know, computers, excuse me, TV and, and phone. It's got a lot of low end. I think if we do get into festivals, we'll probably revisit it and try to uh, do a, a stronger mix for the theater. But uh, it is designed for the theater. There's a lot of really fun stuff. We didn't do a 5.1 because, come on, man, give us a break. It was fucking eight hours of work. But we did a lot of stereo work, a lot of panning, a lot of movement with sound, which is cool. Um, and, uh, man, I'm just so happy with it, dude. I'm so happy. This is one of the few times that I've made a piece that I can sit and watch back to back to back and go like, fuck yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And 
I discover as I watch it different things that were done in it. And the performance from Lance is the best performance. No offense to anybody that I've ever worked with, because there's been a bunch of really great performances, but his by far is the best performance that I've captured on film. So um, I know I'm, I'm blowing this out of proportion, but it's fucking great. So big shout out. Love you, Jonathan. Love you, Mike. I love you, Josh. I uh, love you, Brett. Love you, Gina. Love you, Ian. Um, like, love everybody that has worked on this film. Uh, I appreciate you so much, each and every one of you. Travis, um, I couldn't have made this movie without you. Um, and this was a big moment for me because, you know, this is a direct response. And this is the story that I have to start telling with this film. This movie is a direct response to the bullshit that I was going through here in Hollywood. For over a year, over two years, I was in development, being run through the mud. And I, this is so, so many filmmaker stories is this. You come out here with the promise that something will get made and you get put through the mud. And you have all these really great ideas as a filmmaker that I'm not going to tell you who we were working with, but there were folks that we were working with that would just shoot these ideas down. I don't think it's a great idea if the creature looks like this. I don't think this is stupid. I don't like that. This is dumb. We should do this. We should do that. Things that make you second guess your, at least me, made me second guess my instincts, right? Then you start to get really fucking depressed about stuff where you're like, do I know what I'm talking about? Do I know what I'm doing? Like, what the fuck? I've been watching um, Marvelous Miss Maisel. So the new season, I guess it's the final season. I, honestly, man, I think it's the best show on television. We can get into that later. But she had this scene, spoilers, new shows. Um, she had this scene where she's writing for a TV show. She's writing for a famous TV show. And she's a writer in the room. And the other writers that have been there for a while, whatever their internal politics are, they're telling her that her jokes aren't funny. And she's starting to second guess herself. And she's like, are my jokes funny? I don't know if my jokes are funny. I guess they are. I know that they're funny. I know that this is a funny joke, right? And so what she does is she goes back and starts performing on stage while writing. So she goes back to her place that she knows the audience. She knows how to work this audience. And she starts to deliver those jokes and the room loses it. She goes, I knew that fucking joke was funny. That's what this movie is to me. This is the result of me going through the process of having all these folks tell me how to tell how to do my stuff. I don't think that's a good idea, and I don't think this is good. And then I was like, fuck off. I'm going to go make it. So I make it, I, I put it together, and I go, I knew that that was right. I knew that this is cool. I had to prove it to myself. And that's what this was. This pulled me out of the gutter. This, this piece pulled me out of depression. Um, I give a lot of... Uh, uh, credit to Gina who helped me get through all that stuff and pushed me really hard to make this movie bigger than it was before. And then I give a lot of credit to Lance who not only stars in the piece and finally got, finally got to be able to show his face on screen. You guys, if you've heard the episodes with Lance, go back and listen to them if you haven't. But the big joke was, is that he's been in a couple of my pieces and I never put his face, <laughs> I never put his face on screen. So he finally gets his face on screen and he fucking delivers but he pulled me out of uh, depression with this. This is also, when you watch this film, 
and you go, wow, the acting is so much better in this than your prior things. Not only is it because Lance is great, but it's also because of my my time studying Judith Weston's books. And if Judith listens to the show, if you guys are fans of Judith's books, directing actors, all that stuff. I had done all of this prep when I was told that a feature was going to happen. So I had gone through the process of studying Judith's stuff, did a whole breakdown on, on characters for that. Um, and it was suddenly like everything came to a halt. It was incredibly fucking depressing. I was able to take everything that I had learned in that prep and put it into this film. And the results, mm, I'm giving like the Chef Boyardee mm, little, little sign right now. It's very Chef Boyardee. <laughs> very good. You know, all of that. It's, it's great. Me too. You know, <laughs> so, um, I, I can't wait for you guys to see it. And I know I'm ranting and raving and talking about something that you guys haven't seen yet. You're not going to see for a little while. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is where my mind is right now. You're, you're on the show. You're catching me at a high. You're catching me at in denial, right? I'm, I refuse to get depressed because I'm no longer doing it. I'm no longer making this thing, right? That's the theme of today's show. How to move on. Moving on, and wh where do we go to next? Um, what are my plans right now? Well, I am. Uh, I'm excited to put together some new treatments. I have some new ideas, new treatments, new stuff. We're going to start prepping for that. The news on the horizon is that Monday the writer strike is supposed to start which is going to shut everything the fuck down. And here we go. Your boy once again is timing is timing is a bastard. Timing sucks. I went out with my first feature when Harvey Weinstein decided like all that shit went down. No one was trying to buy anything right then. Went out with my other thing right when COVID started, right? And so now I've got a new thing right when fucking the writer strike. It's like yeah. Timing is everything, but I'm going to, re I refuse to let that depress me. I refuse to let that bring me down. Um, I have a really great piece. I'm going to plan and put it together and figure it out. And even if I can't start releasing it out there until August, then that's the game. In the meantime, I'm going to work. I'm going back to work. I'm going to write up new ideas and put new things into place um, because, uh, dude, I'm just getting older, man. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm I'm excited. We got a yeah, we got a really fucking good idea coming. Ugh. We can make that. Ugh. This is what drives me. There's so many good ideas we have, and they're so good. And I know that you all want them, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of you are begging to see movies from us and to see stuff. I know. I'm working on it, man. I'm working on it. Stay with me. Um. All right. Let's see. Let's take a half second here. Let's see if I should do like a little music cue. What do we got? What do we got here? I'm doing all this live today. What do we got? What do we got? Let's see. What's this one? Yeah, it's like a show ender. Let's not do that one. Uh, let's do like an old ad read from my buddy. Hi, it's me, Kaka Crumnuts, CEO of Meatballs Daily, the social media app where you can download any kind of meatball once per day daily. I started my social media app because I wanted to download any kind of meatball once per day daily. And it just wasn't possible before Meatballs Daily. 
Well, now it's possible outside of the Yep. Visit our new Meatball Freestyle machines at your local shopping malls and movie theaters. Now you can download any kind of meatball once per day when you watch a movie. And I know you're all movie lovers, so use the discount code in love with the meatballs for a 10% discount. <laughs> I'm not sure that that code still works, but you you might want to check it out. <laughs> Let's see if I get some ad read music here. Here we go. We got something in the background. Um, all right. So first up on our ad reads for today's show, uh, my good friends over at Puget Systems, I just cut not only the new movie on my Puget system, but I, at the same time while editing my new movie, I was also doing multiple cuts for Gina. I don't know if you guys have seen them. I've been posting them on my Instagram. We did the Boohoo Man uh, Jamaica fashion shoot, which uh, was a lot of fucking fun to cut. That piece is super cool. Whenever I do these small edits, it's all about finding like a moment in the footage that I really like. And if you watch that clip, you'll find it on my wall on it, on, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Um, it's all about that motorcycle shot. So that that she has that uh, we found, I found first. And I laid that in. I go, that's the cool fucking shot, right? And then so then everything builds out around that. There's a handful of them. There's two guys in the jungle and one guy stands up. And that's a cool shot. That's a cool shot. Then you start finding these benchmarks. And what I love about my Puget system is that it doesn't slow me the fuck down. While I'm on the hunt, while I'm on that exciting hunt for these like very emotional moments, it's not lagging. I'm not playing things back. I'm not stacking shots going, I wonder how these work together and they're fucking lags. Drives me crazy. My tool is not front facing. My tool is working behind the scenes, invisibly, making sure that I stay in the flow, right? I stay in the moment. And that's what I love about my Puget system. The new movie we shot, uh, Airy Mini LF, which we got from uh, Boca Rentals, which is another sponsor of the show. And we threw on the Orion series, Anamorphics from Atlas. They should be a sponsor on the show. Dan from Atlas has been on the show. I put on these beautiful Orions. And what it does, this is really interesting. Um, with the Anamorphic D-Squeeze on a large format, it is even wider. Right, So you end up getting, I think it was like 740 pixels more width. And in that width, you have like this really cool sort of lens distortion and warping that happens on the outsides. And I fucking love them. So it was a challenge for me to sort of figure out what the aspect ratio of this movie ultimately was going to be because it doesn't fit into any of the standardized formats. So this was a big deal. And what it turns out, is that I was fucking it up. I was just dragging the footage into my timeline of Premiere, and Premiere was cutting. I was essentially cutting at 8,000, uh, so 8K. And I had no idea, because it was stretching it to 8K. And so I was running multiple tracks of 8K, anamorphic LF log footage, real time. <laughs> I had no idea that I was taxing my system this much. And man, it, st it stuck with me. And I know that some of you who aren't editors and you aren't in the film business, you're like, you're drooling right now going like, what does this mean? It just means that very, very, very large files were running perfectly on my system. I was able to cut the film seamlessly, do multiple edits. I cut the movie in Premiere. 
I exported the movie and did compositing and did color correction in DaVinci and Resolve. So uh, it worked out really fucking well. And when you guys see the final product, you'll love it. But in the interim, check out the Boohoo Man piece, the Gina shot that I edited. Also check out the latest B. Miller video. I think it's out or it will be out this week. When's the, the 29th? Okay, so the 29th is when the new... What's that? 28th. Okay, I got the right number. The 28th is when the new B. Miller video comes out. This one's fascinating. And I'm not going to tell you what the video is, but I will tell you technically it was quite the feat because we shot this um, full frame, right? So it's huge frames. And we shot two frames and stacked them on top of each other. And then we were zooming on all that footage. So my timeline was super intense for it. Um, so when you guys see the video, when the video comes out, I'll have Gina on the show and we'll talk about all that stuff. Um, very exciting stuff. All cut on my Puget system. Um, also supporting the show is our friends over at Boca Rentals. So if you are in Los Angeles and you're looking for a rental house that really cares about new filmmakers, new cinematographers, is trying to form relationships um, with the next generation of filmmakers, Boca Rentals is the place to go. Um, these They are an authority on equipment. They are the place to call. If you've got questions about gear, they run seminars, they teach you how things work, and they have the best lenses in inventory that any rental house has here in town. So all those beautiful lenses that you've seen all your favorite TV shows shot with, you can get access to that if you have a great relationship with a rental house like Boca Rentals, man. Um, and if you're super smart and you got your hands on a Photo Deox adapter, because Photo Deox is one of our sponsors as well, um, look them up. That is F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X, Photo Deox. You can get um, different lens adapters to fit your camera. So let's say that you're shooting with a Fujifilm, which is another sponsor. You like how I run my sponsor reads? Let's say that you're, you're shooting with a Fujifilm camera, right? Fuji's lenses, Fujifilm lenses are really great, but you want to get some old anamorphic glass. You want to get the glass that they shot you on Netflix with. Well, call up Dudes of Boca, get yourself a PL mount adapter to fit on your, uh, your Fujifilm camera, and next thing you know, you're shooting the same vibe as one of those large TV shows are. How cool is that, man? You'll see in this film, I shot this film with multiple cameras, my new one. So I shot it with the Airy Mini LF. Uh, I also shot it with uh, the Blackmagic 6K Pro. I shot a lot of inserts with that camera. I also shot stuff with the Fuji um, X-H2S with adapters on that. Um, I shot it with the Atlas Anamorphics um, for the Orion series. I love the Orion. They have like the 21 and the 24 millimeter close focus lenses. They are so fucking cool. You'll see them in the movie. You'll see why I use them. Um, and then let's see, what else did I shoot with? I shot with my old school Sigma, my Nikon mount Sigma 24 millimeter, which I used a Photo Deox adapter to put that on my Blackmagic camera. Um, I love that fucking lens, man. There's some great close-ups of a lance with that lens. And I also shot using um, extenders and incredible macro lenses, like a 50 millimeter macro with multiple steps of extenders so that I can get super close on coins. I can get super close 
on chips and boards. It all makes sense when you see the movie. It's a hodgepodge of really cool gear, really fun equipment. Um, and all my sponsors came to the table with really fun tools for me to use. Um, and this movie is a collection of all of it. When you watch the film, you'll see logos for all the sponsors at the end. That's because I use their products and I love to brag about their products. Even people that aren't sponsors of the show that still love to uh, support us um, in the specific lighting company that's supporting us. I'm not going to give you guys an ad read because you should be a sponsor, but I love that you guys are supporting us. Wink, wink. Um, but yeah, thank you to everybody that makes this show possible. And the fact that you are loving the movies so much that you're like, hey, let me help you get these movies made. And, you know, Puget Systems has always been there for us. They're our first and best sponsor. Uh, Fujifilm is our second and best sponsor. We love Fujifilm so much. Volker Rentals and then everybody else that has been on this show. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you so much for supporting my movies. And thank you so much for supporting the fans. Um, we're going to be trying to set up some new relationships as the show pushes forward. As your boy is now back fully committed to the podcast while doing his prep work on new ideas uh you're going to hear more guests you're going to have more cool things uh, look food shows are coming i've got a barbecue guy that i had to like push and postpone multiple times he just wrote to me the other day he goes dude i'm coming on the fucking show right yes you are we're getting back into food uh we're getting into music i've got a great musician episode that is booked for later this week on friday i'm excited about that what'd you guys think of the betamax episode did you like it? Love Betamax, man. Um, and I'm very excited about his work. I haven't, he's got to get back to me. Betamax, if you're listening to the show, I want a fucking vinyl, man. Got to get me one of those vinyls, dude. I'll buy it. Let's just do it. Um, and then let's see, what else? Yeah, that's it. For those of you that are newcomers, um, and this is the first time that you're listening to the show, the place to go while listening to us is in lovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all the episodes based upon subject material. So that is an excellent place to go if you just want to listen to curated specific shows. I just want to listen to the photographers. One of our best episodes, uh, it would be an award-winning show if anybody that was giving out awards would finally listen to our fucking podcast. But David James, the set photographer, still photographer, there's a two-part special episode. This guy has been making movies since the 60s. Right. And so he talks about working with legends, all of Spielberg's movies for a period of time. Like he met Alfred Hitchcock. Great episodes. You'll find all that stuff at inlovewiththeprocess.com, including supplemental material, all sorts of good shit. Place to go. I have a box, and I've been threatening to do this, and I haven't had time, and now I do have time. I have a box, limited amount of t-shirts available. So I have a few podcast storyboard t-shirts, the storyboards that I did of Evelina Marie. That shirt is available, and I keep getting people asking for that, right? It's been on sets. I had a friend wear it on a Zack Snyder set, and, and, and uh, apparently, allegedly, Zack was like, where'd you get that fucking shirt? <laughs> you know what I mean? They exist. I have them here. So if you want a t-shirt, be sure to follow me. Uh, on Instagram. I'm going to do a post this week about give, giving away some of these shirts, selling some of these shirts. Some of the cash would be appreciated because then I can pay for the box of shirts that are sitting here. You know what I mean? 
that would be nice. Um, so lots of fun stuff on the way. All right. Let me take a break here, play some music, and then we'll get back into the final end of this episode. Hold on. Where should I go? You know what I haven't done in a while? I haven't talked about the comic books that I'm reading, and technically I'm supposed to be talking about this every once in a while. I've kind of slacked. <clears throat> I ha- I guess you can call me uh, an influencer at this point, uh, like, a, like a tame influencer, right? Um, and so one of the things that I always wanted as a kid, I always thought it'd be awesome to get comic books delivered to the house for free. Let's be real about it. Um, and so I've been getting books sent to me from my friends over at Image now, which is super cool. There's something really awesome about getting books delivered in the mail. And um, the, the only negative is that oftentimes they don't send me the books that I want, right? I'm usually getting the books that no one's reading. But I did get a batch of really great ones the past couple of weeks. So um, I started reading, obviously, for those of you who are Image Comics fans, you know that one of the, uh, the godfathers of Image, one of the, one of the original uh, creators, owners, artists that went over to make it happen, it was like him, Jim Lee, Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri, um, you know, I think Layfield was in there, a uh, lot of really great artists that were crushing at Marvel right? And uh, a lot of people don't like to talk about the dirty side of, of who Marvel was. Marvel Marvel would always sort of take advantage of artists, man. Let's be real about it, right? There's a lot of stories out there. You know, do the research, look up the guy who created Ghost Rider and see what happened to him. Um, but these guys were, you know, selling books off the shelves. They were doing at the time, like the X-Men stuff, Jim Lee's X-Men, um, you know, Todd McFarlane was doing um, Spider-Man. His Spider-Man books were huge, right? Um, and these artists wanted more. So they all jumped ship at the same time, at the best time. The biggest moment when they're selling all the largest books on the shelves, they all jumped ships, created new characters, created new, um, a whole new business called Image, which was owned by multiple artists. 
and um, uh, changed the game. Like these guys became millionaires instantly, right? Because their first books were some of the top selling books ever. Jim Lee went on to do Wildcats. I don't know, you comic book fans out there remember in the 90s. Suddenly, on the top shelf, there was the books from X-Men because it was like X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, right? Um, and then underneath that shelf, underneath, because Marvel had owned the real estate, I remember in the back, they were these super shiny, glossy books, right? They weren't printing on newspaper. They were printing on shiny, glossy pages with, with these amazing colors because they were doing early of the early work of digital coloring. And I was like, that looks like Jim Lee. What the fuck is that? And there's this book called Wildcats. I remember his characters uh, like Grifter, right? I love Grifter still with the with the red face mask. Um, and he, oh, it's interesting. I remember that from the movie. He uh, uh, really made me pick up that book. And I was like, what is this Wildcats? And I looked inside and I go, this is the same artist that does X-Men, but this is so much cooler. There's something cooler about it. Um, and then Spawn. Spawn felt so fucking dangerous. Remember? There's a lot of Spawn fans out there. I know that book was talking about a lot of dangerous stuff for comic books, and I was a kid, you know, and they had villains that were like pedophiles in the books. It was dangerous shit. And the art was just epic. You have this like superhero with this very graphic mask, very graphic symbol, and chains, and this red capes. So everything I like about Batman is in there. Right, and Spawn went on to become, you know, a huge thing. I mean, he was originally supposed to. Stop. I remember he was supposed to stop at like issue one hundred or something. He just kept going, and now uh, it is one of the biggest. It's one of the biggest Godfather titles at Image, and they are blowing it up into multiple different books. You have like medieval Spawn. You've had all these different angles. Angela, the angel, all that kind of stuff. Um, they are doing what I guess would be considered in the Spawn universe as the Avengers or more like the Thunderbolts title. Uh, and it's called Scorched. And uh, I, unfortunately, when I get these books sent to me, they don't send me issue one. They send me whatever issue is coming out that month. So I jumped right in at issue 17 of Scorched. And it's pretty fucking cool, man. Like, I, like I want to go back and read from the beginning because it's got that sort of team up element that I loved from the nineties of all these characters jumping across multiple panels like coming out of, you know, teleportation stuff, like everything that you like about Marvel movies right now. Um, the, the origins of this were all in the, in the nineties, really the sort of big team up thing. And, uh, the thing I like about spawn is that it's a bunch of evil fuckers that are kind of doing good, you know? Um, so I'm excited, man. I've read Scorched. It's a very short read. Issue 17 uh, was out. Issue 18 comes out in May 2023. Uh, I'm going to go back and look. I should go to the comic book store this week. I'm going to go back and look at uh, the other issues and read that. Let's see. What else did I get? Uh, ba -boom, ba -ba -boom. I got this book from Dustin Weaver. It's P-A-K-L-I-S. Packless? Is that how to pronounce it? Um, it's weird. I got issue, what is this, six? Um, the art is really great. It's almost like a it's almost like a Jeff Darrow's kind of artwork. 
Um, but I can't quite figure out where the story is. It's probably because I'm jumping in on six and it didn't have it set up for me, but it looks like it's like in a weird matrix world. Um, I, I dig it, man. The art pulls me in. And this is something you'll hear me talk about on next week's show with a comic book artist. Uh, we talk about how a lot of what's going on in comic books right now feels like, um, people that are trying to sell properties to, to Hollywood. So you have these folks going to independent labels like Image. And what's great about Image, by the way, is that any artist or writer that goes to Image and publishes with them, however the deal is structured, they still own the rights. So the creators still own the rights to all the work. It's a great jumping off platform for folks that are trying to get into movies because there, there was a period of time where um, studios were just gobbling up properties, right? They just assume, oh, there's an audience for this. It would be easier for us to market, right? So gobble, 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 right? I think it's kind of bloated at this point. And you'll hear in the next episode, we kind of go into the detail on that. But um, but there's a lot of books. I think it's a, the byproduct of that is that there's so many books out there. No offense. And, you know, I don't want to lose my sponsorship with these guys, but if I do, I do. I'm going to be honest about it. It's a lot of fucking boring comic books coming out. And I say that they're boring because uh, the art just is terrible. It's terrible. It's just tiny boxes. Box, 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 box. No uh, time is spent on the artwork. The art is just there because it needs to be there. You can obviously tell that whoever's writing these books is just trying to get a series on Netflix. And they're just using this as an opportunity to sell it. It's, it's a shame. Because the comic book medium um, is can be such an expressive, creative, inspiring medium, um, and you can do anything. It doesn't cost you more money to draw a giant dragon. Uh, it's the same amount of time and energy that it takes you to draw a heavily detailed shot of someone standing in a coffee shop holding a coffee mug. Sometimes that's even fucking harder to do. You know? So, like... It just drives me crazy when I get these books that are just all these like box panels and it's it's barely art. It it feels like I'm reading Foxtrot back in fucking, you know, from when I was a kid on the Sunday Globe. I feel like I'm reading like the Sunday funnies where like they just do enough of a sketch to get it done every week. It's fucking lame. Um, so it's hard to find great stuff. There are good stories out there though. Uh, I'm reading, I just got the first issue of Mark Millar's new book, The Ambassadors. Mark Millar is an amazing comic book uh, author, creator. Um, I was reading his Nemesis Reloaded. I have to catch up on that because they haven't sent me any more issues of that. I have to go buy the issues of that. Oh, woe is me. Um, but uh, I love Millar's stuff. And this book is really interesting. Uh, the front cover says this, 8 billion people, 6 can have superpowers. Who do you choose? Think about that. Great art in it. The artwork is really good. And um, the setup is really cool for this whole new world. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's grounded in reality the way that Malar usually does. But it's also incredibly fantastical. Um, I'm excited about it. He just puts out so much fucking stuff. On the back of this book, there's an advertisement for a new book that he's doing called Big Game. These guys are like fucking factories. It's crazy. Um, the other book, the last book that we'll talk about is a, a book that uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've actually picked this title up. 
and it's 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 a title that's near and dear to my heart. So, uh, Savage Dragon. For those of you who read comic books, you might go, "Oh, right, Savage Dragon." They've been around forever. This issue is two hundred sixty-five. Two hundred sixty-five issues. I remember when issue one came out. Uh, drawn, still drawn by the amazing. I think he writes it too. Let me look inside here. By the amazing Eric Larson. Now let's see. Savage Dragon by Eric Larson. Yes, it looks like he draws and writes it. Let's see this for sure. Yes, um, Eric Larson, the artist, has such a special place in my heart for two reasons. One, um, you may have heard me talk about this before. When I was a kid, I ne- I didn't like to read. I hated to read. I probably had some sort of ADD thing going on. But uh, my mom was concerned, and so she randomly. Uh, went to a drugstore one day because they used to have them on racks in drugstores. And uh, she brought home and threw down in front of me a handful of comic books. And she goes, at least read these. <laughs> they have pictures in them. Read these. And in that stack was uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. And it was, uh, this was probably in the early 90s. Right? Late 80s, early 90s. So drops in my lap. And I remember looking at the cover and it was like the Sinister Six, right? I think it was like the beginning of the Sinister Six crossover, which had like Doc Octopus, Hop Goblin, like all these really great characters on that, on the cover of it. And they were drawn incredibly dynamically, right? They're flying at me. Their hands are coming at me. I was like, whoa, what is this? And I also got like the early stuff from Venom, like Eddie Brock and Venom where like Spider-Man's trapped on the desert beach, right? You guys know this desert island. And Venom, there's a cover of him holding up Spider-Man's head. And it's his mask has been ripped off his skull. And then Venom is holding up this head, the skull. Uh, really cool stuff. Drawn by Eric Larson. And um, I really got into, that was the first book I really got into. I really loved how dynamic it was. And the relationship between I think it was like an early 20s Peter Parker, right? Because he was out of high school, he was going to college, and uh, he was living with Mary Jane. And their relationship was great. And of course, <laughs> Mary Jane was drawn with some specific assets as a young teen boy I really loved. <laughs> so um, whenever I see Eric Larson's work, makes me think, I can just see it now, I'm flipping through it. The panels made me think of... Um, the original Spider-Man stuff. Although this issue is very graphic. Um, very graphic. There's a bunch of nip slips in here. There's all sorts of stuff. There's like wardrobe malfunctions in this. Um, it's fun. Now, the other soft spot that I have is that growing up, I my younger brother, who's been on the show, Brian, he's also been in my movies. He's done some stuff. He's a good dude. He grew up to be a good guy. But when we were younger, we used to share a room together. For years, we shared a room together. It was uh, the two of us in a room and the two girls in their own room. And so we were roommates, you know, for probably 19 years, right? Because it was about when I moved out, 19, 18, 19. Um, And so uh, he wanted to get into comic books. And so I went out to the store because I was older than him. I went out to the store one day and I picked him up a Savage Dragon comic book randomly and uh, hand him that. I handed him that. And I also, because he was, I worked in a music store when I was a teenager. And he was like, I don't like music. He's, he used to be a little fucking brat. You were a little brat, Brian. 
when you're a kid. And he used to be like, I don't like music. There's nothing that there's nothing about music I like. And so I he came into the record store one day and I said, pick anything off the shelf. Right. And it was like we had cassettes. <laughs> so there's shelves with cassettes. And he's in a little temper tantrum mood and he goes, Whatever. And he goes over to the wall and picks the first thing. First thing off the wall. Now the wall's alphabetical. So the first thing he grabs, brings it over and he tosses it on the counter. He goes, I'll take that. What a little brat, right? So uh, I pick it up and it's ACDC. And it's ACDC. I think it was Hell's Bells. It's either Hell's. It was back. I think it was Back in Black. So he picks up the ACDC album and he goes, whatever. And so he takes that. He takes the Savage Dragon book and he ends up falling in love with them. He loved the Savage Dragon. He would read that all the time. Every time I went to the comic book store, I'd pick up my stack and I'd always grab him a Savage Dragon issue. I'd be like, Do you want the book? He loved it. For years, read that stuff. And that's my sort of soft spot. Side note, uh, years later, he loved ACDC so much. <laughs> I think he still does. Loved ACDC. And uh, uh, I remember I got, because he used to get free tickets when I worked at the music store, one of the benefits of knowing all the A&R guys. And uh, I got free tickets to the Ball Breaker tour. So we went and saw ACDC, and they had like the huge wrecking ball crane. And it, prior to Miley Cyrus doing it, you know, they were doing it on stage. And uh, he, he was like happy to pick and shit. He was older then. Um, but yeah, I think about that stuff whenever I look at Eric Larson. So when I got Savage Dragon in the mail from the dudes over an image, I smiled. Because it made me think of all that really fun, really fond memories of growing up um, and having like, I mean, dude, look, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have had such a great um, upbringing. And there's so many people out there that I, that haven't. There's so many people out there that are affected by terrible upbringings. And uh, look, I feel awful for folks that have that. And, but at the same token, I feel incredibly lucky. That, you know, I had two parents that were there and supportive of my art and supportive of, you know, my hopes and my dreams and really pushing me to do things in a creative way. I've always had that sort of support system. And I, without that support system, um, I wouldn't be confident to uh, tackle such a miserable business with the hopes and dreams that I could do the creative stuff that I want to do for the rest of my life. And I, I wouldn't have had that if my mom didn't come home and flop down, you know, some comic books at me. And I wouldn't have that if my dad wasn't telling me, teaching me cool new ways to do book reports. And I mean, I, I remember practicing with him all weekend to a song in a boom box and then bringing a radio in front of a classroom of people and playing music while I talked to them. I still use those fucking tricks and techniques that I learned then when I do pitches for movies and stuff. And so um, when you wonder where creativity comes from, and I think we give so much credit to artists and we say that artists are, are, are geniuses and they're born that way. I think it's bullshit. People that are truly creative uh, were nurtured to be creative and they were in the environment that allowed them to be creative. And sometimes it wasn't an environment created by families. It was something that was inspiring to them. I know my dad was inspired by his aunt who just passed recently. She was an amazing woman. Um, but she took him out of his family system and, and taught him. I think he took piano lessons with her, art lessons with her. 
Um, and she influenced my father into being a creative person uh, who he also has a business brain. If you guys want to listen to that episode, I've had my dad on the show, so go back and listen to it. It's good. It's a really good episode. Um, but I would say that my aunt Tony, my great aunt Tony, who passed, wonderful woman, um, she influenced my dad, and who in turn influenced me. So I would say that she was a big influence on my work as well. And I don't know how we got on this tangent because it's all stream of thought with me. Um, but when folks are just like, how do how do people become empathetic? How do people become creative? It's because they're nurtured that way. They're nurtured to be that way. And so regardless of your background and where you come from, if you have kids and you want your kids um, to have a different outlook on life and have a creative outlook on life, you can nurture that, man. You can nurture that. And oftentimes it seems like it's not going in, right? It seems like your advice or your um, you know, support isn't helping. But like with my brother, who was like, fuck this. Like he now loves that shit, man. He now does it. And I'm not saying that you want to control your kid's destiny and you shouldn't be living vicariously through your children. Honestly, if you want to do something creative and do something great, you should just fucking do it, right? Don't live through your kids with that. But um, you can't support people and children and friends and allow them to be in the place where they can create. And I think the more creative people that we have, the more genuinely creative people that we have, the better the planet is. Um, and not just people that are just, you know, taking things to make cash on it. I got to do an episode on AI because I think that's going to be a thing with, uh, you know, assholes that don't have any talent trying to use AI. <sighs> Listen to this guy passing judgment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, it was a stupid day. Anyway, yeah. So that's what's going on. I picked up a couple of new, or I had shipped to me a couple of new issues from Image Comics. Thank you guys for sending those over. Once again, check out The Ambassadors. Check out Scorched. Um, I can't pronounce, it's probably because the font. You ever notice that when you have a weird font, it's hard to read it? Parkless. Gina, do you have your headphones on? How do you read this book? I think she's got her headphones on. She's got her headphones on. Right now, she's sitting in front of a treatment. She's running a treatment. She's trying to ignore the fact that I'm behind her doing stuff. Now she's looking at me. Now she's not looking at me. Now she's she's drinking coffee. Can you hear me? Gina? Now she's mad at me. You couldn't hear anything I was saying? That's good. How do you pronounce this book? It's hard, right? Packless? Yeah, it's the font. Isn't it crazy how like a font makes it hard to read? Packless. Yeah. Uh, issue number six. All right. Hope you guys didn't get bored with all that. Uh, well, that's it, man. I'm going to wrap up the show. We've hit a good point. Thanks for listening. I am back. I am back on the podcast. More episodes on the way. Lots of cool stuff coming. I promise. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, as always, you will catch me here again next Tuesday for a brand new episode of In Love With The Process.